So I travel around Ontario. Yeah. I, you know, much like you do. Yeah. So maybe, okay, so maybe we'll kind of just introduce this as uh, okay. Dr. Jonathan sure. Beattie, naturopathic doctor. I mean, you could, you could take any kind of swig of any sort of liquid you want to, John. Just, just coffee. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan and I have known each other for many, many years already. We went to school together. Jonathan uh, was ahead of... One year ahead of you, I think, right? One yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, incredibly close class. His whole class was incredibly close. Very gracious. Very eager to provide as much value as they could for us youngins all the time. Very apparent in school yeah. and then after school as well in the profession. And we definitely are grateful. I, I think I speak for everybody on that one for sure. Thanks. Not just you and your whole class. Yeah, you know, yeah. Your, your oh. fellow compadres there. They're, they're just incredible and if they're listening they definitely know who they are but that's kind of how we met and you've been working in the natural health industry and practicing at different locations actually we practice not too far from each other because i used to practice in markham yeah markham road and highway seven and you had two you had it there and then close by and now you're in whitby yeah which is where we're currently um filming, filming this thing uh you know bd naturopathic yep uh, and I'll, I'll link it below the address and that sort of, Thank you. yeah, all the contact and everything. But basically what I realized is while traveling around Ontario to all these health food stores, one of the most common questions I get asked is, where can I find a blank naturopathic doctor most often because my connection with the profession, but yeah. physiotherapists and chiropractors and so forth. And even having worked in retail, a lot of the health food store staff are incredibly knowledgeable. A lot of them actually are registered holistic nutritionists, but every once in a while you'll have a customer come in. You know, for whatever reason, I think it's just human nature. People yeah. don't necessarily have that connection with their physician right off the bat, especially. Oh, yeah. So they walk into a health food store and they divulge their entire life story to a health clerk or, you know, a clerk. Well, their, their physician is often constrained by timing, right? So they, they, get, they, get, they get billed by the number of people they see. They don't get billed by time. So the more yeah. people they could pack into a day, that's how they keep their operation running. But then the, the downside to that is the average medical appointment is seven minutes. So you don't have time, and, and many offices now have one, uh, one appointment, one concern, or one complaint. So you're only allowed to talk one thing at a time with your doctor. People don't feel listened to. They don't feel heard. So yeah, they end up in the health food store, and especially... Uh, many doctors don't have a background in natural health products or anything like that. So even though they're a doctor, they're less knowledgeable on the topic than are the staff of the health food store. So who are they going to go to talk to? They're going to go to the health food store. So that, yeah, that's, it's an important contact point for natural health. I think so too. But, you know, often I'll see as soon as they divulge their, you know, a large portion of their story, I might add. Uh, TMI. Often, absolutely. And then they'll, they'll bring up medications. They'll bring up very complex health concerns. Yeah. And quite often, I think this is where you can get very close to that line, where they take an incredibly complex health concern and they simplify it. And they're either giving advice right there on the floor or they want to refer out to a naturopathic doctor, but they don't really know who to refer out yeah. to. So that's, where, that's one of the most common questions I'm asked. Where yeah. can I find an MD? And so I thought... I go in, I interview a lot of our fellow mates yeah. and other practitioners, but more so, f less so for practitioners, more so for people, the yeah. not the public. Uh, so, uh, you know, more to just get a better idea of who you are as a person. And Yeah, and, and as a commentary on that problem, actually, one of, the, one of my beefs with the profession is, uh, and, and I'm actually um, going to be guest lecturing at the 
at the, at the college uh, for the practice management course, which is how to run and operate a naturopathic practice. Right, yeah. Um, what I'm looking at is simple things like when you move into an area, you go visit all the health food stores, introduce yourself to the staff, so they have you, they know you, they know what you do, what kind of patients you like to treat, uh, what your specialties are, our uh, special focuses are as naturopaths, we're all have specialties. Um, but what your focus, your practice is, so they can recommend you appropriately. Um, yeah. I tell that to the doc. First thing I did when I moved into the area was I went and visited all the health food stores. Almost every single uh, health food store owner and staff member said, you know, you're the first naturopath to come in here. And that helped me grow my practice because how many people have gone to see a doctor due to an advertisement? Like, do you look at, hey, no, you never, no. doctors don't advertise. They don't have to if they're good. Um, it's all word of mouth. And yeah. I would, personally, I would be skeptical. You know, I see if, if somebody sent me a, a flyer in the mail, hey, come to see this doctor. Yeah. That doesn't breed confidence in me. So for no. me, it's all about get out, meet people. And, and that's, and ideally then you can see their passion. You can understand what they're really focused on. Cause I mean, that's like my shtick that I've uh, grown my practice with is, um, I started off doing a lot of work uh, in the autism community, so yeah. I was called a Dan Doctor, which is Defeat Autism Now, it's biomedical approaches to autism management. Um, but within that, it's actually expanded into doing a lot of work with autoimmune diseases, uh, because again, a lot of children in the spectrum uh, come from families where autoimmune diseases are rampant. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just in, you start treating the kid, and then of course, inevitably, the family goes, oh, I could probably use this too. Yeah. Treat the family members, you get these autoimmune conditions under control and uh, especially because they run in families that grew my practice very quickly once uh, i realized that the real way to grow your practice was word of mouth and so uh, my biggest advice for any healthcare practitioner is just be good at your job yeah <laughs> that's that's how you'll grow your practice is, is genuinely care for your patients and it's value, especially in private medicine, which is what we are, where, where people are paying their hard-earned dollars yeah. to come and see you. I mean, any physician, it's a service industry. They cannot forget that, regardless of who's paying their paycheck, whether it's the government or whether it's the person directly. I mean, we pay our taxes, so therefore, like, your patients are paying your paycheck. The difference is, is they don't have, because they're not paying it directly after they leave each appointment, there's a disconnect between the value there um, but to me, that's, that's a bigger thing because Canadians are not used to paying for medical care. So when they do, in order to encourage them to do it, um, there's got to be value there. And so once you can provide that value uh, and really show them the effectiveness of it, um, that's the biggest thing. I mean, my big thing with patients is, uh, no offense to them, I don't want to see them. Um, <laughs> I tell them this right from the get-go. like, if you keep coming back, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Um, or you're not listening. And that's going to be, and I'll fire you. Just as the same, you can fire me, I can fire you. Um, legally, I actually can't. Once you start treatment on somebody, you have to maintain it <laughs> um, within reason. But it, it's more about having that conversation of, look, I, you know, I'll work for you, you work for me, together we'll get you healthy. Yeah. Um, and I find that's what really you know, resonates with people. For sure. I think because you're so bang on with the Canadian market especially, because people... They don't pay, see that bill right after when it goes to healthcare, when it goes to OHIP. So when they're paying directly out of pocket, you really, really have to impress them in some way. And yeah, they have to know. A lot of people are skeptical. First of all, already many people think the naturopathic doctors and other practitioners might be selling them snake oil. 
they're skeptical of the whole marketing approach, thinking, oh, they'll just milk you for as many visits as you can. So I think that approach of, nope, we want to get you better as fast as possible and let you be the captain of your own ship and yeah. be the CEO of your own health. So CEO of your own health, I should say. Yeah. And that and that's, I mean, ultimately what we really try and do. What I encourage the profession to do is, is try, you know, don't bring people in unnecessarily um, and, and really be ethical about what we do. Uh, my background actually before I got into medicine was nutrition and nutraceutical science, but I did a Absolutely. lot of, I'm actually just a, a credit or two short, I can't remember exactly how many, it's one or two short of a degree in philosophy and ethics. Um, so yeah, critical thinking is a big part and it's, it's weird because of course, uh, doing a lot of critical thinking, very big into uh, scientific method and evidence-based medicine, that's actually what drew me into naturopathy of all things. People think, oh, oh it's, yeah, it's very, it's alternative, it's not scientific. I, I would argue the exact opposite. If you yeah. look at the research on the topic, if you look at the understanding of disease process, biochemistry, physiology, it's actually probably more scientific driven than pharmaceutical based medicines are, which yeah, there's research on them, but the research quality in, in some cases, not in all cases, is dodgy. And uh, there's a great guy, um, Ben Goldacre. He's a medical epidemiologist. He's got some TED Talks on YouTube if you wanna look him up. One of my favorites is what doctors don't know about the drugs they prescribe. And he, he actually is a very big evidence-based medicine uh, practitioner himself. And he draws into the fact that there's huge issues with how medical research is conducted and a lack of peer reviewing in medical research, but also the fact that, let's say, uh, as a company, I run 10 studies on a specific intervention, like a specific drug. Um, yeah. nine, let's say nine of those 10 studies don't show any effect, but the one study does. Um, chances are my nine studies that, hey, we tested this hypothesis, it did not work. That's not a very sexy <laughs> conclusion it's not likely going to get published. So now your doctor goes and accesses only published literature, which is going to be the one of the 10 studies that show the drug works, which is what they're then going to be making their clinical decision based on, which is one-tenth of the evidence, whereas if you take all the evidence together, it actually shows you know, the total cohort of information says that drug does not work. Yeah. You, you actually have the one study, which is an outlier. Now your doctor is basing their uh, treatment to you on this outlier, uh, statistical outlier that's actually not accurate. So they're, they're prescribing you a drug that actually doesn't work, but the trouble is the only evidence they have about that drug is that it does work, which is an error. And so yeah. this is where like even doing evidence-based medicine has its limitations and, and many of the public don't realize this. And we oftentimes you'll see the critique of naturopathy. I mean, if you look at Wikipedia and you look up naturopathy, um, it's actually a locked, entry you can no longer adjust it due to quote-unquote vandals um, but there's incredible right in even the wikipedia entry incredible misinformation about the profession um, because of a, a turf war on this topic and there's all sorts of uh, erroneous claims made about naturopaths being anti-pharmaceutical they're an, you know anti-science is, is really what it comes down to and a lot of that argument is made based on some of the early uh, sort of fathers of naturopathy yeah. or the elders from the 1900s. Well, if you were to compare modern medicine and say, oh, well, medical doctors are charlatans as well, because, yeah. you know, back in the 1900s, they were, you know, they were still drilling into people's skulls to relieve pressure, right? Yeah. Like stuff that we've long <laughs> since learned really doesn't work. But 
and that's the argument you use like oh don't see an afterbath they look at the stuff they were doing back in 1895 like well of yeah. course if you were looking at what medicine was in 1895 you would sit there and go well don't go see a medical doctor look at what they were doing back in they were still giving you're still getting mercury toxic poisonous mercury yeah. as a treatment i mean you're still like coca-cola was still medicine back there and you're just Cocaine and caffeine. Cigarettes. Like, yeah. It just it goes on and on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cigarettes. Smoke a pack a day. That'll that'll calm the nerves. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's funny on the 1996 Atlanta Games. Yeah. The Olympic Games. So in '95, before Donovan Bailey got to the Olympics, he won I think the World Championships. And yes. So I had this Adidas poster in my room. Yeah. Just because I was a huge uh, fan uh, of of sprinting. So it was split in half, and you saw Jesse Owens on the left. I think it was from 1933, yeah. I believe, or 1936. Yeah. And then Don Bailey on the right. That said, we knew then, we know now. Yeah. It's kind of that, you know, we don't want to be in a position when, where we knew then and we, we know now. We want to be working collaboratively. And, yeah, I mean, the naturopathic profession is definitely evidence-based. It's crazy. Well, that's it. And, I mean, personally, I don't believe in either. I don't. <laughs> and by that, what I mean is I really don't think there should be a division of you no. see a naturopath or you see a medical doctor. To me, we all do medicine. We should all be regulated the same. And I believe the medical education should be more collaborative and actually involve all of it because... Yeah. I mean, the number of times I've like I've seen patients with subluxed ribs who have been to see orthopedic surgeons. I have no idea what's causing your back pain and why you're struggling to breathe. And a simple chiropractic adjustment, curative. You know, one treatment, and the patient goes, "What?" But they told me chiropractors are quacks. I'm like, "Well, don't worry, I'm a naturopath." But th what I just did was what your average chiropractor would have done yeah. to you, and your rib was just out of alignment. We put it back in, all the pain goes away. Because the, the, the function, the structure can work properly again. And they're like, why would my doctor tell me the opposite? And it, it's they just, just don't know. It's and just, it's, they just don't know. It's, yeah. There's a lack of education. So we tend, just like anything, we tend to be fearful about what we don't understand. We tend to be hesitant to recommend things we don't understand. And I've read online reviews. You know, I've done the research. Chiropractic is fraud. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah. you look at the Cochrane Review, which is one of the great standards. There's meta-analyses showing chiropractic medicine is effective and safe. Yeah. So you look at the, the, the summary of all the research, it works, right? Like, and so we have the, the, the fact that you'll hear doctors say, oh, no, no, we studied it. In fact, the American uh, Medical Association was, uh, uh, they lost a suit. They, it was basically a defamation lawsuit where they, there was a strategic uh, approach by the American Medical Association to basically take out chiropractic medicine, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a systematic attack on the profession of chiropractors, which they were found guilty of in a court of law because it was unsubstantiated. So they were making libelous claims about the, the, the other profession. They were found to be in, that those claims were false, that they were saying chiropractors don't work, da, 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 and they found that was all false. And that's what, you know, that's where that came from. So it's just remarkable to see that you know, unfortunately, there's a turf war where the end product, in my opinion, should be patient health care. Yeah. Whether it's due to a nutrient, whether it's due to a drug, a surgery, whatever, you know, chiropractic manipulation, whatever the intervention may be, like safety first, efficacy, and then, you know, beyond that, uh, people are like, oh, you're an naturopath, you must hate drugs. No, not all yeah, of them. Yeah, not, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, not the case. The problem is most people are using them to manage an illness, yeah. not to cure it. And that's what I say. I'm like, don't stop your drugs. Wait till you're better enough that you don't need them anymore. Right. And that's the disconnect that I think we have. Yeah, and I think working with more practitioners, 
having that interdisciplinary approach will give us more access and ultimately not it's not really for us it's for all of us all of us who are seeing seeking out health practitioners for our well-being to have that type of advice uh, you go to your medical doctor your medical doctor can wean you off yeah. now naturopathic doctors obviously have more prescribing rights and so they have a little more leeway now but it's so important we work together well Chuck, uh, you sorry i wanted to ask you you used to practice with a medical, medical doctor yeah and that's what i was just going to say is i was yeah. one of the lucky few yeah. who uh, was in a truly interdisciplinary practice um, where I worked with a medical doctor in Markham, Dr. John Ganage, yeah. a phenomenal practitioner, um, very, very, very intelligent man. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, he got nominated this year for the Rogers Prize for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. A yeah, stand-up guy, too, yeah, right? Yeah. A really intelligent gentleman. Anyway, um, and I was lucky enough to get to work with him for about four years in, uh, in a collaborative practice where we co-managed patients. Um, and it was, it was wonderful because it's so rare to find uh, a medical doctor that not just tolerates but actually encourages their patients to look into naturopathy. And it's one of those areas where, I, I mean, I could go on and on about this guy's credentials, but yeah. the biggest thing with him is there were areas of medicine where he realizes, like, you know what, I, I can't learn that in a weekend course. He's like, you've, you've studied, you, you know, years and years in school to learn these techniques. I'm not going to learn them in a weekend course. So you know what I'm going to do is I recognize my own limitations. Instead, I'm going to go out, advertise, get myself a naturopathic doctor on site who knows this stuff. And when I need to, uh, when, when that treatment's appropriate, I'm going to send them to the naturopath. Imagine and, that. Right? <laughs> and vice versa, when I saw something yeah. that was outside of my scope where, um, you know, the treatments he could provide were more effective, yeah, boom, I would send them across the hall to him. Works both ways. Worked, and it was this great... Uh, sort of like practice where there were, you know, some patients just saw him, some patients just saw Dynamic, me, right? but many patients saw both of us. And mm -hmm. there was a value there to them uh, of seeing both medical doctor and naturopath. And it wasn't a war over, you know, which type of medicine is better. It was, how do we make this person as healthy as we possibly can? And, you know, through that, I maintained many of those patients. And a lot of those patients that I, I I saw first in Markham, they followed me to my practice in Whitby, and they still continue to see uh, Dr. Ganache up in Markham. So it's, it's, it was a great experience, and there's only a handful of clinics in Ontario um, where have that, kind that, of, that have that, uh, yeah, I that know. happen. I know. And he actually, the Ontario Medical Association, actually just, um, he was just away, a lucky guy on a cruise this summer <laughs> in the Mediterranean for the Ontario Medical Association, um, and he's finally reached that level of... Um, recognition where he was doing a complementary medicine and pediatrics presentation to the Ontario Medical Association. Amazing. So it was great to see that they're finally starting to, you know, maybe 25 years too late, but breaking down better late than never, breaking yeah. down that barrier. How can we incorporate, you know, complementary medicine into the improvement of pediatric care? And so how did you, okay, so take me back a bit. Uh, you went to Guelph. Yes. Why Guelph? Were you from Guelph originally? Did you go for the agriculture? Uh, How did that? Uh, oh, Aggie, of course. No, uh, like everybody else Aggie, in the yeah. bio size at Guelph, I wanted to be a veterinarian, which is um, you, you go into uh, first year biology class at Guelph, yeah. and how many here want to be veterinarians? And hands down, a that's third of the hands go up. And you know, yeah. I, I worked in a vet clinic in high school, and um, always liked animals. When I was six, I think I told my parents I wanted to be a veterinarian, and apparently uh, my great grandfather was a vet. So really, were, oh. So I discovered, so of course this made grandma very happy. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. So I, it was just kind of this, I didn't really have, I was six, I didn't have a life plan, just to make 
six animals better. All right, perfect. Uh, followed through with that all the way up till I got to university. Sort of got into some of the, uh, joined the junior vet club, things like that. And there was, uh, I, I just started to realize that a lot of veterinary medicine is actually more about how do we make more meat out of animals. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not all the, you know. Wasn't what you thought it would be. Yeah, what most veterinarians are is not actually the small animal veterinarian. You know, you take your sick dog and they fix it. Most of it is you work in commercial farms. And well, I, I saw this, that. well, neither did I, but I mean, you got 5,000 head of cattle, that's going to take at least one vet as almost pretty much a full-time job to manage, right? So that one farm hires a a full-time vet to do all the controlled acts. Every time you got to stick it with a needle, you need a veterinarian with a license to do that. Every time you have to, sorry to say, stick your arm up its bum, you have to, you're you're supposed to be a veterinarian to do that. You've got to be trained in order to do that. You've got to be trained to do that. So this is what a lot of veterinarians do. And I kind of got a little jaded around it. So I decided to, to work uh, more in human health care. And part of the pre-vet program was uh, a nutrition course. And I mean, I worked at the Dairy Queen all through high school. And let yeah. me tell you, like nutrition was not on my radar when I went to <laughs> university. Um, food was supposed to be fun and covered in fudge or cheese and bacon. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, but I suffered asthma, eczema, a whole variety of things my whole life. Oh, yeah. Tinkering with my diet and learning about nutrition at, at Guelph, I changed majors, got my degree in nutrition and nutraceutical science, um, and then wanting to look into what's the best way to uh, what's the best way to sort of approach medicine from a nutritional standpoint. That's when I discovered naturopathic medicine. I'd never seen a naturopath. I'd never been to one. Oh no! Total leap of faith. Um, I looked up the curriculum and it had the most I know. nutrition. I know. And I, know. I, uh, I looked up, are you a real doctor? Like, are you actually allowed to practice medicine in Ontario? Uh, I realized, oh, like, geez, you guys are a regulated profession. 2003, probably? 2002? Uh, I was in 2003. Yeah. And, uh, and took a leap of faith and I thought, you know, like I wrote my MCATs. Uh, I got accepted to a couple of yeah. different medical schools and programs and um but i decided that the naturopathy thing just for whatever reason seemed it resonated with me even though i yeah. didn't know what it was and yeah. honestly i've never looked back you know could i have made more money as a medical doctor absolutely yeah would i have enjoyed myself um probably not i'm, I'm a yeah. questioner i would i would probably have some ethical issues with a lot of the stuff that i'm i would be expected to do under standards of care yeah. Which is interesting because I, I get certain referrals from some medical doctors who disagree with the standards of care of their profession. So they basically have to, you know, treat by following protocol A or guidance, yeah. refer it. So they're, they're not allowed to not treat. They're, they're, they're only allowed to treat one way and so or they can refer out. Um, those are the two options once they discover a certain. So what we've done or what they do is they've realized that, hey, you know what I can do is I can refer to the naturopath and circumvent all kind of that of, yeah. and let them take over where my standards of care, your standards of care would allow us to treat that same concern differently. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. I'm amazed. So I just did an interview with uh, Dr. Elizabeth Sheravati. She was in she was in my class and I yeah, think into yeah. the next one. Yeah. So right she practices right. in Guelph. Okay. Half the interview, we, we spoke about how impressed we are with Guelph in general. So I I went to York, yeah. but I applied to Guelph and U of T for biology. And I realized at the time that Guelph also was top, top yeah. notch. Agriculture, everything you're saying. But now that I traveled to Guelph, 
uh, for work, basically. Yeah. You know, the finest bakeries you'll find in Ontario, all real, long-ferment, old-world-style sourdough, the real yeah. stuff, you, you know, uh, the farms. We were just chatting before the interview, actually, about farms, and I want to get into that in a moment, actually, if you don't mind. No, of course. But just the fresh produce, the farmer's markets, even the stores themselves, the staff in, in these stores, they live the lifestyle, truly. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just incredible. How did you go from, so you went to Guelph, you became a naturopathic doctor, you were working in Markham for a while, and then Pickering, what brought you to Durham? Well, uh, Pickering's Durham, but what, uh, what, what brought me to Durham was uh, I grew up in Ajax. So, did you? Yeah, so my, parents, live, so my parents moved there when I was a kid. Um, and really what brought me back was, uh, being a poor student after eight yeah. years of post-secondary education, yeah. uh, living at my parents' place. And, uh, but it was also uh, not really having a plan of, okay, I did this naturopath thing. Now, where am I going to go practice? For I sure. looked into different communities, actually, um, based on demographics, Leamington, Ontario, I've been the, there. the home of the tomato. That was high on my list for a while. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, a long story short, a friend of a friend, um, they were working at a clinic with uh, an osteopath and some chiropractors, massage therapists who were looking for a naturopath. Um, my name was passed around as, you know, I was coming up to graduating. And yeah. so I went in, met with them. We seemed to resonate. And uh, that was actually the clinic I worked in the longest. I worked there for about eight years. And then ultimately what brought me to Whitby was Yeah, we're recording again. Great. Uh, so you're saying so what uh, what brought me into it then was um, yeah, so it resonated with, you, right? with this osteopath yeah. and then uh, frankly it was a logistics thing. It was just how did my wife and I afford to buy a house and practice and start a family, which is what we were hoping to do. Yeah. Um and do all of that while having the overhead of a clinic and Yeah. Beautiful um, clinic, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. It really so the, the way we figured out how to do it was uh, put the clinic in your house. Yeah. So then you can write off 25% because, well, 25% of my house is a clinic. And <laughs> literally. Literally it is. Um, and, uh, and so we just, we figured out that was the most logistical way. And then it's, you know, I get a lot of time and it's, it's been a beautiful transition. A lot, I get to spend a lot of time with my family. You know, I get to have yeah. lunch with my wife and daughter every single day. The greatest, um, it, the greatest, and, yeah. And so it's really, you know, be that, we're very big people and live the life you want to live. And um, people are always like, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky you do this. Oh, you're so lucky you get to do this. It's like, no, it's not luck. It's, it's a choice, right? It's a choice. Yeah, we it is. We, yeah. I took um, my first vacation that I've had since my honeymoon, um, or the longest vacation I've had since my honeymoon three years ago. We're working on that hopefully for February. Yeah. Same thing. We haven't gone. I took, like, I think we took uh, the Friday uh, before Labor Day and then the Tuesday, Wednesday after. So yeah. we had essentially like five days off in a row, Beautiful. six days off in a row kind of thing. And that's the, uh, oh yeah, it's five days off in a row. And that's the longest I've had a vacation in over three years. Wow. I've been out of my clinic for longer, but that's usually to go work somewhere else. Um, because I also do, as uh, part of how I know Rob so well is, um, being in the natural health products industry, I work as a formulator with a company called Prairie Naturals. Yeah. So sometimes they'll have education opportunities for me they'll basically send me on tour where I, where I go on tour lecturing and teaching and uh, and so that could be an entire you know week of my life where yeah I'm at a clinic but it's because I'm out in BC grinding it out every day doing you know three lectures a day for seven days 
So yeah, that's been wonderful though. That contrast to go there, you know, you're representing oh. a great brand and you're meeting stores and just other professionals in the industry. It's and it's a nice change. And, yeah. and with my background in nutraceutical science, I've always so I've also always been really big on the idea of um, like when when uh, I used to great. struggle with okay, there's all this research for this great product, you know, this, this great intervention, but no product exists that has that intervention. So how can I now get my patients to do it? And one of the things was. Uh, with with prairie was it allowed me as a formulator to actually, um, to actually create the products yeah so being there and being able to put together formulas um you know based on the research yeah and clinically effective so then i can recommend those to my patients so all my patients have to sign a consent declaring my conflict of interest because of course that's also too many levels sure, of the therapeutic sure. relationship yeah. you know i get to diagnose people tell them what the treatment is but then i also make the treatment Right. Um, so that's right on my consent form that who I work with, what I do, and that they're free to, you know, if they're ever not comfortable with that, I have no trouble yeah, substituting they can pick it up a anyway. different. And yeah. they can, they, they well, can it's also that I can substitute a brand for them. That, right. that it's not just me promoting that product because, like, right. that's not at all what my clinical practice is about. No. Um, in fact, I mean, it's Prairie probably doesn't like to hear this, but I carry a ton of <laughs> yeah, other brands yeah. in my you office. Have to, you have to. So you have to care what's brand. the the most yeah. effective for that patient. You have yeah. to make that recommendation, and that's yeah. individualized care. I mean, they understand yeah. that all good companies do. No, exactly. You have and to. So, and and they've they've allowed, allowed me a little freedom where that's great. There's areas that uh, you know I feel like the market is uh, is there for it, and but the products don't exist, and so they've let me come in with some pretty novel ideas. Yeah, that, I've, noticed. Um, I've noticed. That they're now pretty and and seem to be doing pretty well for them. So it's that's it's, great. It's nice that. Uh, like, you know, not many people get that opportunity that I've had with them of actually doing the formulation. Um, so it's been yeah. a nice, nice thing to see. Um, what was that like when you went in there and actually doing the, I mean, we spoke about it from time to time in the past, but just to give people an idea of, in terms of, in terms of quality distinctions. So part of the oh. reason I want to do this is because of that lay person, yeah. less so for the practitioners, more so for a person that walks into the health food store, they're enamored. Yeah, well, and I would say also the practitioners are because unless you have True. that technical background, that technical knowledge, you, can't um, you know, you, you hear about, oh, I want to use uh, turmeric. Yeah. Okay, right over, like, oh, I use that. I pick on that one all the time because there's uh, yeah. like nine out of 10 companies will come to you with their formula and go, look at the absorption rate of this <laughs> yeah. one. Oh, we got this I great, know. look at, we did this study, it absorbs 10 times better than the other one. Right. Okay, does it work 10 times better? Absolutely. And that's, and they go, what are you actually putting yeah. into your body? Well, right? maybe the I mean, blood. Well, the, the one question I always ask is, well, maybe the blood level is more is elevated, and so you're able to find ten times a higher dose because it can't actually yeah. get into the cell. That's so. Yeah. It's just this reservoir in the blood of unabsorbable, you know, cuminoids, yeah. and this is what's happening, and that's why on paper it looks like a better product, but it could actually be zero efficacy, not work yeah. at all, even though it's 10 times the absorption rate because it just doesn't penetrate the cells, even though yeah. it penetrates the intestines. And then they look at, you know, the poor, oh, sales reps. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad right. for them sometimes when they I sit know. down with me because they don't realize, they're like, oh, geez, I, I, I'm sitting across from tech support here. And you should warn them before it happens. I do, usually. Yeah, I yeah, usually yeah. do that. I'm a snob. I actually don't meet with many. <laughs> to get a meeting yeah. with me as a sales rep is, is a pretty hard thing to do. I yeah. apologize to them in advance. Um, because I'm generally the one, like, yeah. nine out of ten times for the sales reps, I'm calling them because I'm interested in something because I've done You've my research. Done the re- yeah. And, uh, and, and so when it comes down to it, 
Um, yeah, it was really interesting because, of course, you start to get to the sourcing of raw materials, and now you've got to pick through the 100 different turmeric products on the market so many. Um, as a raw yeah. material. Then you quickly realize that many of the companies are just using the same ones because yeah. they're the best price point, even though they're not necessarily always the most effective. But sourcing and all yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's easiest to get, it's the cheapest to get, and you're going to make the, the highest profit off of it. Um, then there's looking at, is it effective? Um there's so many different factors. Like one of the things, uh, Prairie, we just came out with one. It's a fermented turmeric powder. Yeah, that's a big one I noticed. It's um, yeah. interestingly sold as a food product yeah. because labeling is, um, there's all these limitations. If you, if you As soon as you put it in a capsule, it becomes a drug. Yeah. If you sell it as a powder and you want it as a food, it can be a food. Fermenting it increases the bioavailability and increases the absorption and the activity the of it. Yeah, a rich temps. Yeah. Right? From the Ayurvedic. It's, exactly. Yeah, it's something you don't. Throw it into, though, a, a powder. And uh, what it comes down to, though, is cost. When you do it this mechanism, uh, this method, basically for the same cost as you would pay, you get like one tub of the powder would be the equivalent in cost um, of one bottle of the pills. The difference being that there's five times as much turmeric in the tub of the powder, and so yeah, you're and basically paying twenty percent of the price crazy. for uh, an equivalent fermented turmeric. That's product. nuts. And like that's yeah. when you when you learn it that way, it's like it's crazy yeah, to see the difference. I know. Um, and yeah, and just I mean, it's also even like organic. You see the word organic. I've looked at organic chlorella products, and uh, there was a uh, the one that we chose that was. 10 times cleaner, 10 times lower levels of lead, mercury, things like that, than the next closest organic product. And like we're talking like really clean versus quite clean. And then you can yeah. look at some of the non-organics and you might as well be just sucking back toxic concern. waste. And it's like, and, and some of them are just filthy as far as toxins. And you have to learn the technical side. I have no of, idea, right? The consumer always pays the price. Oh, the consumer always pays the price. And that's, and that's the thing. And it's a, it is a regulated industry, but even within that, and it's just like any industry, there's always going to be people that will abuse the loopholes. Um, that being said, in general, having NPN numbers and having it government regulated, yeah, they're no longer allowed to do a lot of the snake oil products. All the products, right. all the medicinal ingredients have to be approved at therapeutic doses. They're all approved. Yeah, there's no yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It has to be clean. And you have to disclose all your ingredients in your product. And Health Canada regulates all of that now. So it's, it's really lent yeah. some credibility to the industry. I think so. But at the same Not time, though, yeah. it's like, what's the difference between a $10 and a $30 vitamin yeah, something's C? Something's got to give, right? It's right? not just gouging, no. Well, and in some cases, so that's it. Yeah, it's so. like some cases, the difference between a $10 vitamin C and a $30 vitamin C is the marketing budget. Yeah. And of course, the $30 one looks better because it's got a way bigger marketing <laughs> budget. Right. And you've seen it in all the magazines because that 20 bucks extra you spent bought all the advertising. Um, sometimes it's, you gotta know what to look for. and sometimes there yeah. is a difference in why you pay $20 more for your vitamin C. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So those are just some of the things that, uh, that we encounter. Just want to make sure that, uh, okay. still got some time. Yeah, I just want to touch, um, I'll edit, uh, this. No, I figured as much. Okay. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's like. I love how you could be creative on that, and I love the empowering side of somebody who understands these key distinctions and then goes in and makes a, a conscious shopping decision. It's just like with food when you go to the grocery store. So much, actually in terms of marketing, so much effort has been put into marketing, and it should and will only get better yeah. in terms of 
training, educating, not training, but educating the consumer to make better lifestyle choices. Um, one of the things I love about you and why I wanted to do this, um, in addition for you just be, you know just being a great guy that you are, thanks, man, <laughs> uh, is practicing what you preach. This is something, and we've we've had discussions about this for years. Rolling up to the clinic with you, if you have, if you're lucky enough to come here to be naturopathic, you'll see. Literally, he's got the garden outside. He, t- t- you know, just tell me about. So one of the, so you used to be vegetarian. One of the things yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, there's so many different things that you do, but food wastage. Yeah. In terms of freezing and and which part, you know, so, tell me about how. You yeah, do. so I'm right off the up and deep end. Um, right. Like I, this yeah, is, this I. Is, I would consider myself bordering on like neuroses, psychoses in this area. Only, a little bit. A little well, bit. And, and only because the definition of, an, of uh, neurosis is it's like atypical psychology, but you're functional within society. So that would, I, I <laughs> guess that would be me. But sometimes it's almost to the point that it's hard to function in society because my belief structure is, is so, so powerful on yeah. this one. That I, you know, I, I believe in, um, you know, we borrow the earth from our children. We don't inherit it from our ancestors. Love and it, I, I believe in biodynamic farming that, you know, a farm should leave the earth healthier than they find it, which unfortunately is yeah. not the route most agriculture takes. No. And in actuality, uh, the evidence shows biodynamic farming is a more effective way to grow fruits and vegetables than what we use now with our chemical-based systems. Yeah. And it leads to more crop diversity, more resistance to pests. I could go on and on and on. GMOs and all the yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, the trouble with like even if you get a monoculture, uh, this happened to the banana industry years ago. Like the bananas you would have bought in nineteen ten um, is a different yeah. banana than you can buy now because those bananas they were actually thought to be extinct, although they're not. They, they did yeah. find a few of these trees still kicking about, but a fungus hit. And literally, you couldn't tell if the banana was raw until you opened it, and it would be black inside. And that ruined all banana plantations. So it was like a giant banana crisis, and then they had to go and get a new type of banana to monoculture, which is, there's thousands of types of bananas. Yeah. We eat one. Right? And that's the weird thing. Like You can buy red bananas, you can buy green bananas. There's so yeah. many. And, and culturally, if you come from a country that has multiple bananas, you probably eat multiple bananas. You come from Canada, you eat one. One. They all look the same. They're and, the same size, yeah. And that's incredibly, like, so if your food system is based on a monoculture, it's incredibly fragile that if a disease mutates that can wipe that out, wow. all of a sudden we don't have any. Um, so diversity, though, allows for, you know, some of the banana plants that are a little different might be resistant. Um, so there's that. But I just look at it as, you know, like, uh, food is medicine the, the sort of Hippocrates did it first, let food be thy medicine, medicine be thy food. Uh, the definition of a drug, it's something toxic. That's the be-all and all. Um, the definition of a nutrient, the basic molecules required to support and sustain life in the absence of disease. That last line is the most important one to me. Yeah. And so to me, I really look at, and it, there's also a lot of the, what we call je ne sais quoi molecules. Um, <laughs> I don't know what. It's, uh, what it is, is it's like, like you, you hear about, um, for instance, like vitamin C. Purified vitamin C has a lower antioxidant capacity than cocoa. Because it's not any of the actual vitamins in cocoa. It's not a it's, real food, it's just, it's, it's ascorbic acid. It's ascorbic acid, it's but like, it's, yeah. it's and it, which is known as like the big antioxidant. Yeah. Yet, cocoa is way more, has way higher antioxidant potential. But not because of the vitamin C, not because of the vitamin E, A, any of that. It's all Other these 
yeah, synergy which, too, right? Yeah, it's, it's the polyphenols, right? It's the resveratrol yeah. in grape skins, and which is in red wine, that is, yeah. you know, cardioprotective and neuroprotective and all these right. things. Um, and that, but it's not a true nutrient because there's no deficiency state, yeah. right? And so that's that weird thing. So to me, growing your own vegetables keeps them their freshest, keeps them, you, you, you can grow them under stressors that allow for these uh, phytochemicals to be developed. It's and empowering too, isn't it? It's empowering too. Yeah. And, and I'm also big on, again, back to that whole biodynamic, like, you know, this plot of, this tiny plot of land that I own in Whitby. You can grow your own. I can grow my own, but it's also, yeah. I can leave it as a healthier else. plot of land than the way I found it. Right. It's also part of it. It's like, you've got to practice what you preach. If I expect others to do that, why would I expect different for myself, right? right. And that's, and so it, it does take some work. Yes. Is it rewarding? Yes. To me, it's my meditation. Um, like I, really, the yeah. first thing I built when I bought the house uh, was a, a compost bin, and my compost bin holds three cubic yards. Really? Yeah. Like I can't. We. we but we have like when we take our garbage out. I have a clinic in my house, so I operate a business out of my house. Um, you know, and my I have a bag of garbage, like maybe one, and there's a lot of stuff in medical practices that you you throw out because you can't reuse any of it, like you know gloves. I'm constantly putting gloves on and taking them off all day. Yeah. You know, cotton ball, all that kind of stuff, old band-aids, things like that. They're all getting thrown out. Um, but I still have less garbage than almost all of my neighbors. Right. And so we have huge recycling and our green bin that we put out, because in Guelph you get, it's or massive. in Whitby you get, uh, no, it's tiny. We well, have like a bin. bag of, because we reuse. And you put in your compost here. Yeah, and it's yeah. usually generally animal product, things like bones and stuff, that we've actually already cooked down into bone broth. So even like, bones of our meat after it's been used we use it again to make bone broth and like we literally cook stuff down until it's almost dirt and then <laughs> throw it out and, salivating just thinking about and that's the thing it's like not, you, you know if an animal is going to pass for me to consume it yeah i'm going to show it the respect of utilizing every last piece of it and, and utilizing that well like trying to avoid wastage because again when there's starving people in the world i mean we do produce, I think it's the estimate is three times as much food as we need to feed humanity right now, yet yeah. we're starving people. And it comes out of distribution, food distribution right? yeah. and we have a lot of food waste. Yeah. So although we produce three times as much as we need to actually feed the world, we waste tons of it, obviously, because we're starving people. Um, and so by reducing food waste, and also from a budget perspective, so much better. It's so much cheaper. And you see, so you free like you, you, you will you cut up in advance, and you'll just freeze half of it, right? Because yeah. most of the time, it's you just for family it, yeah. three, four. It's too much food usually. And you do it, you know, you can buy things cheaper seasonally. So yeah. some stuff that doesn't last as long, you freeze. And yeah, so there's ways to do, and it's and it's 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 almost it's funny because it's learning the old ways. Yeah, it's all the things, and luckily I kind of was raised in a house where we always had a composter, we always had a vegetable garden. My dad was raised on a farm. So those are just things that houses have. Best resource? Is there a resource you, you would uh, that I could look oh. up that you'd love somebody to, or just go on YouTube and start start pounding away? It, it all depends where you come from, really. Like if you've never gardened before, I mean, you're gonna probably just start with a couple pots with tomatoes in them or something easy like basil, right? right? Like the, whereas if you've had a vegetable garden, you might start looking into the work of a guy like Joel Salatin or uh, Alan Savory, who okay. are like these are the guys that are doing more biodynamic farming Out on, on a larger yard. scale oh, oh, they're like farmers at a large scale but the principles can be brought back down to small scale yes. like, um, farming which is like 
I, I call it protein, protein crops, farming. Uh, yeah. And then there's uh, Ron Finley is another guy. He's the, uh, what do they call him? The, the, he's the gorilla gardener is his term. He, he, <laughs> he, he's a gardener in East LA, which is a food desert. It's, uh, it's right in, um, there's a lot of empty lots in East LA. There's all, it's, it's a really poor, impoverished area. It's like Compton, right? Like it's, it's yeah. the ghettos of LA. Um, and you go to the store and can't, like, yeah, you can buy a pack of Joe Louis, well, not in the States, Joe Louis, a pack of, you know, Twinkies, but you can't buy a head of lettuce. Wow. Because it's a, it's a food desert. There's no availability for these foods. And so his thing was he went and they just take over empty lots without permission, but they're just literally lying dormant. And they, and just, they just plant? They just dig them up and plant veggies. Unbelievable. That's and great. most of them go, no, you know, nobody steps in and stops them because, like, what kind of, I mean... The, the actually the city of LA, do that. well the city of LA actually tried to, um, they were they were trying to impose some sort of sanctions against them, you know, fine him things like that, and he's going like you're gonna fine me for making our like, lives, you know, they're, they're, you know here was this dead plot of gra- like brown grass on the street corner, and I came in and I uh, tilled you know I tilled up the dead soil and I planted some vegetables and we came by and watered it of our own accord. And made free vegetables that we then gave away free to the community. Like that's, that's technically, that's against the law. Like that, and he's wow. going like, "All right, yeah, I'm breaking the law, but like, am I hurting anybody? No, I'm not. Like, like, how am I? How is right. you know the, the fact that that law exists kind of means it's a bad law. Contributing to society is what. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He's like contributing positively to community and society, yet crazy man breaking the law. And so to me, that's a, a sign that that law probably needs to change. Um, <laughs> And so that, and that's why they call him the gorilla gardener. And it's his famous line is, you know, <laughs> uh, growing your own food is like printing your own money. And, and that's a big thing that people think like eating healthy can be expensive if you don't contribute to your own food plan. Yeah. Right. And so the, I, I know of like there's people out there you can look on Kijiji and, and those type of websites. There are people out there that have land that is lying. It's pharaoh. It's lying dormant. Yeah. And they'll just let you if you can commute up there. They'll let you come to their property plant your vegetables, take care of them, grow them. And some of them don't even actually request a share. Some people just let you use it. Others will say like, hey, uh, give me 10% or 20% of what you grow yeah. and, and in exchange for using the land. And like, which to me is a great deal. You know, you're getting free free land to... And the riches are so much more than what you get in terms of the profits. You're literally yeah. putting back into the soil, into the earth. And to parents, you want your kids to eat vegetables, teach them how to grow vegetables. That's a great tip. Uh, uh, yeah. I've had parents where they're like, oh, my kid won't eat vegetables. Grow, what, what do you want them to eat? Spinach? Grow a spinach plant. Let them pick their own spinach off a plant that they grew. They're so excited to eat it. Like, they can't wait. Can I have one? Yeah. And, and the parents are like, how did you, like, how does that work? And it's like, oh, look, it's something they did. for a day. You become one with it. Exactly. It's something yeah, they had experience. a hand in. They're excited about it. Yeah. It's something they're involved with. It's a simple thing to do. Yeah. And, and they enjoy it. And even, too, if, like, people who don't know how to grow, go to a health food store or, like, a, a even some grocery stores, you'll see this. They sell living lettuce. Yeah. And it literally is hydroponic yeah, yeah, right lettuce. On. Right on. Yeah, you'll see them everywhere now. Chop all the lettuce off. Eat it. Take the little plug, the little root. Put it in a pot with some soil and water it. And the lettuce grows back. That's fantastic. Like people, people like like I don't know how to start things from seed. Don't just buy something with roots. The same thing like you can go to any grocery store sells the the fresh herbs in a pot. They're usually at the front entrance. Take those home. What do you do? You clip them back a bit, and they'll grow. They'll continue to grow and grow bushy. And you just you literally you have never, yeah you have never ending basil. Yeah. 
You want more of it? Put it in a larger pot. It'll grow out and expand. It, it'll grow to the size of the pot that it has. Like um, fish are like this. Goldfish are a carp. Yeah. The bigger the tank you put them in, the bigger the goldfish you get. Really, I didn't know. Yeah, and that's uh, a lot of people don't. And it's like, if, and that's where like pet goldfish or pet goldfish because they're kept in small tanks. Oh my god. Put them in a bigger tank, they become big goldfish. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> wow, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. You know the differences between a, a, a button mushroom, um, a criminy mushroom, and a portobello? No idea. Baby, teenager, adult. Really? It's the actual same mushroom, oh my God. just at different stages mushroom. of its life. And, and you'll notice the price difference. The, the button mushrooms are the cheapest, or the babies, they haven't grown as long. Criminy, a little bit more expensive generally. Ex pretty expensive. And then portobello is the most because they've just been left to grow longer. They take more space on the farm. Yeah. It's the same mushroom. Wow, that's incredible. Right, and so there's all these like weird things that people don't realize, and, and you know, and it can be easy. And it's like I always say, you know, don't start start somewhere you're comfortable, and then work from there. Like it's we 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 try, we don't. I guess one of my favorite phrases we use in our office is, "Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good." Yeah. Right. People think, oh, I'm starting out growing stuff at home. I've never grown anything before, and you know, all of a sudden they want to go straight to they want to go from never having grown a thing to biodynamic farming good on you. It may not be so successful. <laughs> it might be frustrating. You know, yeah, not that I'm super pro fertilizers and stuff, but you may find an easier time if you use a little bit of that, right? Yeah, right. Just to, to build your ego even. Yeah, well, even sourcing organic soil is, is quite hard. Like out here, there's one landscape supply company that has organic uh, compost that right. you can use. You don't know. Dur kind of Durham, yeah, Durham topsoil that I've seen is the only one that sells certified organic. Top, uh, uh, compost for your garden. So unless you knew that, I mean, if you go to a store and you're like, I want to be organic, but this, you know, none of the soil I can buy is organic. Don't worry so much about it. Just buy a basic one. Over time, it becomes. Don't be organic. a purist. Just, just do it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. So one of the one of the questions I've been uh, in these interviews with are sort of that person who walks into a store. You know, yeah. it's their first exposure to anything naturopathic medicine yeah. whatsoever. They go in, there's a million different products everywhere. Um, it's a lifestyle change, whether it's yeah. in their garden or, or in a store. What, do you, what would you say to that person just starting out? What would be the, they're confused. Any piece of advice? Is it kind of just start on with, with something that? Yeah, gonna... mine would be find that one thing that bothers you. So you have a targeted approach. And then go in and try and find that one item that's best suited to that one uh, that one approach and my biggest piece of advice would be jump on dr. Google in advance and look a little bit of look up a yeah. little bit of basic information on that topic it's yeah. it, um, a good uh, resource for this is examine.com yeah. um, yeah. you've, you've used them yeah. before I'm sure because they just do literature reviews on topics so it's you know they'll study something like vitamin C they'll look at the quality of the research and they'll summarize it very simply to you of hey this is how vitamin C works is what it's effective for. Use it or don't. It's up to you, but that's really what you're looking at. Right. Awesome. So just, yeah, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. You know, start with one or two items. See how they work. But more important than any of that is just start focusing on the food you put in your face. You are what yeah. you eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the most important thing. Yeah, lay off the twinkies. John. Thank you so much for yeah, that. Yeah, thanks, oh, for, thanks for having me naturopathic, on. Naturopathic, Dr. Jonathan Beattie. Uh, pleasure having you here, really. I, I appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Glad, uh, glad I could do this.